Welcome to the Gay Fathers Podcast. We'll share stories of coming out, raising kids, and more. Interested in being in our podcast? Email us at podcast at gayfathers.org. The Gay Fathers Podcast is produced by the Utah Gay Fathers Association, a program of the Equal Harmony Project. Thank you to Ben's Brews Cold Brew Coffee for their sponsorship. And now, this week's episode. Today we're talking to Josh Bingham. Welcome, Josh. Hello, thanks for having me. Glad you're, you're here. It's taken us a minute to get this put together, but yeah. I've been excited for this. Good. So, we'll just kind of delve right in. Um, kind of what I want to start with is, what would you say is either your earliest memory or... At what point would you say you knew you were gay? Um, I think, I mean, I think this is probably pretty typical, but I think just as soon as I kind of started being attracted to people, <laughs> I realized the people that I was attracted to were boys. Mm-hmm. Um, I was LDS at the time, um, you know, and I grew up in a very religious family, and so it never, it never even crossed my mind that that could be, that that could be okay, or that that could be something I could you know, pursue or that, or that could be normal. Like it just felt like, especially I think when I was, when I was really younger and I didn't really have as many words to kind of understand what it was, it just felt like something that was really wrong and that I had to kind of avoid at all costs. So, um, I don't remember like a specific moment or a specific memory or, you know, anything that really stands out, but I just remember I always felt more comfortable with, with, girls as friends mm-hmm. um, and I always felt more sort of attracted to boys and so then I think felt a little more uncomfortable around them because I didn't know how to act as much and so I felt a little out of place that way. Okay. So if you don't mind sharing, kind of as we're talking about sure. younger, what, what, how many are in your family? So I grew up in a family of, with eight kids. Okay. So I have seven brothers and sisters and then two parents. Um, I grew up in Provo. Um and just we were a very typical kind of Mormon family, you know, big Mormon family. Um, my parents were, you know, in the bishoprics and the relief societies and, and those kinds of things. And we went to church every Sunday and my grandmas and grandpas are Mormon. And so just a very kind of traditional Utah family. Right. Okay. And where do you fall on that? I am the second boy and I'm the fourth kid. Oh, okay. So I have an older brother and then two older sisters and then, what, five four younger siblings. <laughs> many younger siblings. <laughs> Too many to Yeah. Well, okay, so you fit right in the middle then. Yeah. All right. Well, I'm the youngest of seven, so I'm... Oh, okay. I'm, yeah, you know how that goes. The opposite end of that Yeah, spectrum. yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so, how would you say, I mean, you had those feelings that, that it was wrong. Right. How would that, did that impact your teenage years, do you feel? <clears throat> Um, it's, that's honestly something that I'm still unpacking and still kind of figuring out. Um, I really, by and large, had, like, a happy childhood and a happy adolescence. Um, you know, I had good friends, like, I, I got along with my siblings, you know, I mean, obviously we, we had our, you know, little fights or whatever, like, siblings do, but, like, by and large, I had a really happy childhood. Um, I think really, really early on, I learned to comp- to compartmentalize that part of myself and just kind of like put it in a box and put it away and not think about it. Um, and so I didn't, I feel really lucky that I didn't suffer. I didn't suffer a lot of depression or, um, you know, anything like I know a lot of LGBT, um, kids and teens do. Um, and I wasn't, you know, in like high school and elementary school, I wasn't ever like the most popular kid, but I wasn't ever like ostracized or teased a lot either. You know, I always was a little bit on the outside, like I wasn't athletic and, and I think, you know, a lot of boys kind of find their identity in that in high school and and elementary school. And I wasn't that at all. Um, but I also was never really teased or ostracized or anything. So I had my little circle of friends and, you know, was happy with them. And so, um, yeah, so I grew up you know, by and large happy. I think now that I've come out and now that I'm kind of processing through it, I realize that a lot of that was because I was able to kind of shut parts of my brain down or shut things down that now I'm trying to figure out like, oh, I needed those things. Right. <laughs> how do I, how do I, you know, turn those things back on or how do I activate those, those thought processes again? Because, you know, there's definitely, especially for being in the closet so long, there's definitely kind of long-term effects of that, that I'm still trying to figure out. But but like I said, I felt really lucky. I was, you know, I was a happy kid. Like I didn't, um, I wasn't depressed or 
too anxious about anything like that. That's good. Uh, so, would you say, how, I guess just ask you, how long have you been out now? I have been out since 2014, so almost, like, almost four years. Almost four years. Yeah. Okay. So not long. Oh, okay. Well, and we'll kind of get to that sure. step. Sure. Come out. It's interesting as you, as you just kind of talk about unpacking things, because it, it's true. I mean, I've been out for 10 years now, and there's still moments where I look back and I think, huh, I kind of... You know, memories that yeah. flash back, and you're yeah. thinking, that's what was going on yeah. at that point, yeah. you know? Like, yeah. at the time, I had no idea what yeah. was going on. This makes sense now, so... <clears throat> and I think we go through that a lot, so... And I think especially then, too, like, I feel like, I mean, by no means do I think we've, like, ended homophobia, but I feel like at least, at least kids growing up now have some understanding of what it means or some, even if they're not in a place where they're safe that they can come out, you know, or where they, or they may not be in a community where they're accepted. I think at least like culturally it's more visible. Um, you know, when I was a kid, I didn't know anybody who was gay and I'd never seen a gay TV character or read a book about a gay character, you know? So I just, I mean, I knew what it was, but that, but it wasn't, there was no frame of reference for what that even meant. And so I think, um, yeah, like it was a, it was kind of an avoidance tactic. Like I just couldn't even think about it or go there because I didn't have any frame of reference for like what that meant or what it could be or, you know, whatever. So at least we've made some progress, you know, culturally mm -hmm. that way where kids at least have something they can kind of go, oh, okay, here's some examples in the world. So let me ask you, because maybe this is a controversial question, but it's just a curiosity that kind of ran through my head as you were talking about, you know, we created these boxes that we put our life in so that we weren't showing that outside, you know, we, we just weren't processing those feelings mm -hmm. because they just weren't supposed to be there. Mm -hmm. I wonder, you know, as we talk about the LGBT suicide rates in Utah and definitely the issues that we're dealing with right now on a massive scale in this state, do you think that there is some cause and effect of it being more open but still having to repress it now that you have role models? Yeah, possibly. I hadn't really thought about it in those terms before. Um, you know, maybe kids can kind of see what it could be, but they feel like it's impossible. Um, I know for me, for me, the, the kind of long-term damage and the things that I'm still unpacking and the things that I got really good at compartmentalizing is I... I knew that I knew that wanting the things that I wanted was bad, you know, finger parentheses was bad or finger quotation marks was bad, and I knew I couldn't have them, and so I sort of shut off the part of my brain that wants things. Um and so so for me now as an adult, you know, if someone ever says to me like, you know, what's your what's your dream job or or you know, what, where do you see yourself in 10 years? It's like almost impossible for me to answer those questions because it's hard for me to even think about it, it's hard for me to even acknowledge that it's okay for me to want things or desire things. And I don't even mean in a sexual way or in a romantic way, just anything, you know, mm -hmm. desiring things altogether. So kind of back to your question, I think, I think f for kids um, in conservative communities or in LDS communities, I think where there is a big challenge there is you don't know what to want for or what to hope for. And I think that, I think while I think the church has made a lot of strides in sort of being more accepting of gay people on paper and kind of and talking more about it and acknowledging that it exists, there's still not a real clear answer of like, well, if you're a gay teen, what is the, where, where do you go? Like, what does that mean? Right. You know? And so I think it's that like wanting to feel like your desires or wanting to feel like the things you want are valid. And if you don't know how to express those things or how, like, even kids that come out, you know, they're still active, they're out, but, like, what's next? You know, like, they can't really get married, and, and so, you know, so there just doesn't seem to be a really clear path, and I think that's where, I think that's where we're lacking in the culture here, is saying, like, okay, you're gay, you're LDS, here's your options, or here's how you can live your life, or here's how you can be happy. It's just, we sort of stop at, like, acknowledging they exist, but we don't really talk about, like, what options are available to them. You know, that's, you know, I hadn't actually thought about it that way because yes, I mean, we, and we've talked about it in the last couple of podcasts about how life for us growing up was very defined as these are the steps yep, you take. This is the path you go down. You don't deviate much from this. This is exactly, you do it in this sequence, you know, and, and by this, you're supposed to be married by this time. Right, you're supposed to have right. kids by this time. But yeah, I, you know, that's, that's got to create some 
questions of where do I fit? Yeah, what's my path? You know, which you know? yeah it is a different experience for me because I didn't have that experience growing up. I just knew I didn't fit, and so I had to fit in what was there. Right. That's. I think, and I don't know if this is too like doctrinally specific or anything, but I think there's a. To me, it feels like there's a lot of parts of the LDS Church that are well. They the LDS Church, you know, has a plan of salvation that they believe in, and so they sort of start with the end result of that and work backwards. The end result is you want to get to the celestial kingdom. And then how do you get there? You do this, you get married, you, you know, there's steps that to achieve to get there. And so when I think when you look at someone who's LGBT and who's in the church and who maybe believes and is active, you don't, we don't know how to get them to the celestial kingdom because they have to be married to get there. You know, that's what mm-hmm. the doctrine teaches. And so, so I feel like that's where we sort of start fumbling and go and saying, oh, like, we don't know what to tell you because the steps that we've laid out for everyone else don't work for you. And so, and so if the, if the tenet of this religion is that we're all working towards this exaltation, but we don't know how to tell you to get exaltation other than to say it'll be figured out in the next life or we may not know all the answers. And that's, you know, that's a, could be a fair response for some people. You know, we don't, we, so we kind of leave those kids in limbo uh, yeah. and they don't know, you know, we don't know how to tell it's them still how to proceed. a tough life to live. I mean, to, to not know, I guess. For sure. Yeah. You know, and I, and I, and I would say, you know, probably it doesn't necessarily even tie directly to, the LDS Church specifically, because if you think, I'm sure Catholicism, sure. Judaism, yeah. Islam, all of those things have a similar, you know, that have been established for a little bit more. They have that. There's no, there's no gay heaven in those, right. in those right, realms. Right, right. So that's that's interesting. Um, and you know, and I brought up this question not because I'm suggesting that anybody should go back in the closet or we should, right, right, you know, right. we should go back to the old ways where you just pent up everything and hide. Right. You know, I guess, I guess if there were some an LGBT teen listening at this point, I would just say, you know, find someplace safe. Yeah. You know, find, yeah. Find safe people that you can confide in. And, you know, everybody's life is individual and you've got to for make sure. your choices. And if, and it may not be feasible for you to say, well, forget all of this. I'm, I'm joining the circus. Right. You know, it's so, you know, just do what you can do to, to protect yourself and, yeah. and find, find safety in people that you can trust. Yeah. So. I've I've said for a long time, like, I don't think there's one right path for anybody, you know, and I think, and I don't think that just applies to, to coming out of the closet or to being gay or to being Mormon or whatever. I just think, you know, it's, it's almost impossible to prescribe a life that's going to work for every single individual. And so, yeah, you have to find people that will support you and that will love you and you have to figure out what makes sense for you. And, Mm -hmm. And it may not look like what someone else is doing and what I'm doing might not be the right choice for you know, someone else, but it's, but what I'm doing is working for me. And so, yeah, I think, I think you're totally right. Kids just have to find a place they can be safe and, and then figure out what makes sense for them. And that might change, you know, what makes sense now (laughs) might change, might not make sense in five years or next year or whatever. And so just being open to that idea that like, there's an endless world of possibilities and there's not one right path that's going to make you happy. Um, there's a lot of things that are going to make you happy, so you have to figure out how you're going to pick and choose amongst those. So, well, I think it's interesting because yeah, I didn't walk out, of, I didn't come out of the closet, and suddenly I'm like, okay, yeah, I've got life figured out now. This is exactly what's going to go on. You know, I I made all sorts of steps and missteps, and yeah, and it's okay. The best part of it's been my choice, right? You know, right, it's right, no right. longer I'm no longer relying on somebody else to tell me what to do. Exactly. So, so let's. Um, I guess let's go Sorry, that was a little diversion. No, no, <laughs> it, no. Little, I think I think it was path. a great conversation. Yeah. You know, I, I, it just was an interesting question that popped up in my head. Yeah. Um. So, what would you say after your teenage years? Kind of where did that progress in life? What? what <clears throat> so, I think when I was younger and when I was a teenager, I sort of went through the pretty typical um, feeling of like this part of me is wrong. And if I am just righteous enough, it'll go away, you know? And so I really tried hard to like read my scriptures and say my prayers. And I was on the seminary council. I like, I remember once and I've told this story before, but I remember being in seminary once and the seminary teacher said, the atonement can fix anything that's broken. And I thought, oh, perfect. I'm broken. So the atonement can fix me. So if I just can apply the atonement enough in my life, you know, I can change this. So that was kind of where I was throughout my teenage years. And then at some point, probably 
late teens, like 17 or 18, I think I started realizing that it wasn't going to go away, that I wasn't going to be able to undo it. But I think I, but, but then I kind of made a decision to just like put it in a box, follow that path. Like you said, like do all those things that, you know, that my older siblings had done and that my cousins had done and that I'd been taught, taught to do. And I just thought I've ignored it this far. I can ignore it for the next 80 years, it'll be fine. Right. No problems. <laughs> so that was what I did. I, you know, I went on a mission. I went to BYU. Um, I eventually got married in the temple. So just, just did all of the things that I was prescribed to do. Um, because I just thought, I thought I can never acknowledge this. I, and I never talked to anybody about it. I never told a bishop. I never told a friend. I never told you know, my parents, like I never, I don't think I ever even said the words out loud. Like I kind of accepted it in myself, but I didn't, I never talked to anybody about it. And then I, and yeah, I just thought I'm just going to leave this in a box and I'm going to just live my life and I'm going to be a good Mormon boy and I'm going to get married and I'm going to raise a family and they're going to be good Mormon boys and girls and, and onward into eternity. And that was my plan. And that's what I thought I would do. Right. And it didn't all work out that way. <laughs> Spoiler alert. It didn't right. all pan out. You know, it's interesting um, that you, you talk about uh, where you didn't talk to anybody about it. Because yeah, I remember post, eh, probably either end of high school or, or so that I, I did reach out to a couple of friends. And I was expecting them, you know, because I put them on a pedestal as, you know, especially one of my friends. I put him on a pedestal as being such a great, great guy. I practically idolized him that he would just be able to, you know, he would have some magic token of wisdom to tell right. me. And he didn't. He didn't yeah. have any, he didn't have any clue what to say to me. And, and, you know, we, our friendship didn't last much longer after that, um, you know, for multiple reasons. And, it's interesting looking back because I put so much, like mentally, he didn't have any clue, but sure. I was putting so much pressure right. on that guy that to he like, he was going to save you or he was going to be the one that was going to get me through it because I considered him to be such a great person. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I don't know that, I don't know that talking to somebody in that, you know, in that time of life really solved it. I mean, it didn't solve it for me by any means. I think, I think too, for me, like it was so, I was, I, I have become so good at compartmentalizing and I think a lot of, a lot of gay kids do this. I am like a compartmentalizing ninja and like, I, I mean, I remember in college, a friend of mine came out to me who was, who was also LDS and it never, like, I think back on that now and it never even occurred to me to also come out to him, you know, like it, because it was so locked up inside a box inside my head and, and, and I knew I was gay. Like, it's not like I was in denial about it or thought that he and I were different in some way, but it just, or, or I had a friend in high school that was gay and that was LDS, you know, and it never once crossed my mind or I never thought like, oh, maybe this is a safe person to come out to. And I don't think it's because I don't necessarily think it's because I was scared or because I was worried about repercussions or whatever. I just, it was so separate from who I was as a person that I barely acknowledged that it was real, Mm -hmm. even though I knew it was, but so yeah, it, so it wasn't, it wasn't that I wasn't talking about it because I was afraid. It was like, I didn't identify with it at all. It was so separate from myself as a person that I didn't feel like it was necessary to talk about it. Like, why would I talk about that? That's not who I am or that's not who I'm going to be. Right. So I just never did. Well, and I, you know, I think the same thing. I was thinking about this as we were talking about just kind of high school in general. And I was a class of 900 in my in my graduating class, and I I knew of another gay guy. He didn't go to my high school; he went to another high school, and he lived and he lived in our state. But still, to this day, I don't know another gay person in my class. And now, statistically, that's impossible. Impossible, right? You know? <laughs> like there should be 90 to 100 of us at least. Right. And so, it's curious. I wonder when that will ever happen, where I find somebody else. I mean, not that it really changes anything, sure. but it would be interesting to sit down and talk to them and see what their view of high school was. I did. It was my my 20th high school reunion a couple of years ago, and we, I didn't end up going to the actual reunion, but we had made a Facebook group um, mm-hmm. where people were kind of just sort of giving updates on their life. Like, I graduated, and then I did this, and, you know, kind of, just kind of updating people in the class what was going on in their life. And so I posted an update, and you know, came out and, and this is after I'd been out in my regular life for a while. So I was kind of telling people like, Oh, I got married, but now I'm divorced and all of that stuff. 
Um, and so I had, there were, you know, probably four or five people that reached out to me after that that were like, oh, hey, I'm gay too. <laughs> and it is interesting to go, oh, you were interesting. Like just, and, and none of them were people that I knew super, super well, like, but just people that I knew in my class and whatever. But it was interesting to be able to look back and go, oh yeah. Okay. Okay. I see that. So, right. To kind of recognize that. So. Well, and it's, it's interesting because I, for me, like I was compartmentalizing so much and I was so worried about somebody slipping up somewhere and somebody catching me. Yeah. 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 That I wasn't yeah, paying yeah, attention yeah. to whatever else was going on. Yeah, that's you know? very real. So, and, and I just didn't feel like I fit the mold of what was stereotypical at the time, but interesting. So, um, and, and I guess I, I want to go back and, and clarify, I'm not saying that me talking to somebody else wasn't beneficial at all. Sure. I just think that I put too much pressure on one person. Right, so right, right. you've got to, you, you know, do talk to people. Sure. But don't expect it to necessarily solve right. everything for you, and, and you have to find the right people to talk to. I think, too, the thing that... that you will learn in coming out if anyone's listening to this who has not come out yet um is that you just don't know how people are going to react the people that you think are going to be the worst turn out to be the best and the think people that you think are going to be the best are the worst and you know i mean the reactions are all across the board and so i think you're right to put a lot of pressure on like okay this is the person that's going to save me or that's really going to help me they might be maybe you know maybe they will be but maybe they'll be that person that doesn't know what to say and reacts weird and then you feel bad and it you know becomes a whole thing so i think there's no predictions in the coming out game of who's going to be cool with it and who's not it, right. it's you just never know so you've got to find people that are safe but you also have to be doing it for yourself and not not because someone's going to save you or fix right, you. Right, right, right. <clears throat> Definitely. So the we've got we've gotten the to the point where obviously you got married. I did. I got married a lot. Well, we were married for eleven years. So I guess at this point it's about fifteen years ago that okay. I got married. And did she have any idea before <laughs> um, that, or I guess I always I always hesitate to speak for her, but we had never talked about it. Mm-hmm. So. Whether she suspected things or wondered or whatever, I don't totally know. We never just talked about it. You know, again, it was one of those things that I just thought, this is fine. Like, I can just ignore this and, you know, pretend it'll go away. And she was and still is a really good friend of mine. Um, And I think I kind of thought, like, okay, this will, you know, here's my chance. Like, here's someone that I genuinely care about and that I genuinely love being with. And like, we can give this a go and make it work. And I, and I really thought that it would be fine. You know, like I didn't, I didn't feel like I was deceiving her, even though I was, you know, like, I think I felt like, okay, this'll, this'll be fine. It's not a big deal. Um, so we got married, um, and and we're still, you know, I kind of said, but we're still, you know, very close and we're good friends and we get along well and we're great co-parents. Um, our marriage from the beginning was pretty, I don't want to say rocky because we had a lot of good times, but there were definitely a lot of issues in regards to just kind of intimacy and connection and sex and, you know, those kinds of things that just didn't work. And that caused a lot of stress and anxiety for both of us. Um, and we, we would talk about it and we would try to find ways to work through it and we would try to find ways to connect better and things, but there's just something different about loving someone who is your friend and being in love with someone. And I think I was in love with her the best way that I knew how, mm-hmm. but I don't, you know, and I, and I think she was in love with me, but it wasn't, there wasn't that sort of connection that, that is forged in, you know, a real relationship where you're really in love with someone. So, um, we were married 11 years. We had three kids. Um, our kids are great. Um, we, after about, well, after 11 years of marriage, we were, we were talking one day about some just kind of other things going on in our marriage. Like it wasn't even about, you know, our relationship or anything like that. Just talking about some other changes that were happening, um, in our lives and kind of talking about what impact that would have on our marriage and what it meant and and kind of navigating some of that. Um, and in that conversation, I ended up coming out to her and it wasn't something where, it's not like I woke up that morning and said, today's the day. Like, again, I, it never crossed my mind that this is something I would do, but it was just sort of as we were being, as we were both being really honest and vulnerable about the things we felt and about what was happening in our marriage and 
where we were happy and where we were unhappy, it just felt like I needed to sort of explain a little more. You know, mm-hmm. I needed to be more clear on that. Um, she took it really well to my face. <laughs> Again, I don't want to speak for her, so right. I don't know what was going on in her heart and her mind, and I don't know what went on behind closed doors, like, the next day when I went to work, or, you know, whatever. So, and I'm, I'm sure there was a lot of pain that I wasn't really privy to, but she was very supportive and very loving from the get-go. Um, we, when we first, when I first told her, like, we kind of didn't know what the plan was. Like, we were like, okay, well, now what? You know, because... Again, we built this life together and we both had plans for the future. Like we were going to travel together and we were going to do all these things. And, you know, so we had built this life and then it was kind of like, okay, well now what? Like, and we talked about, do we stay married? Do we, you know, do we have an open marriage? Do we, you know, we, we talked about all sorts of ideas or options and, you know, some seem more feasible than others. And then I think eventually it was probably a couple months later that we were like, okay, like we need to divorce, you know, like that's, that is ultimately what will make, what will be the best decision for us and for our kids. And that was in, I think probably July of 2014 when we made that decision. And we didn't really officially separate until maybe September, October of that year. Um, and then we didn't, we weren't officially divorced for another year beyond that because divorce is a long and complicated, complicated process. But, um, so yeah, it was, a it, I feel like it went as well as it could, you know, mm-hmm. as well as it could have gone. And obviously like, I only see one side of the story. Like I don't, like I said, I don't see everything that she went through. Um, but she's been super, super supportive and really great from day one. Like I feel really, really fortunate because I know a lot of guys, um, in similar situations who are not, don't have great relationships with their spouses and there's still a lot of tension and a lot of stress, um, and that, that just adds a whole layer of pain and struggle and frustration. And I feel really, really lucky that I don't have to worry about that. Mm-hmm. So let me ask you kind of going back a little bit on that. Sure. Where, so you had this conversation and you, it just kind of came up. Had there been anything with you, like, had there been any tipping point where you're like, all right, maybe this is something I have to address or it was just sort of like. No, it really literally was like in that moment. It was just like a really, I think it was a really honest and vulnerable moment for both of us. And we were talking about really intimate things about, you know, our relationship and and the church and and where we were at and those kinds of things. Um, and I think I just finally felt like it was the right thing to do. So yeah, there was no, there was no preconceiving of, okay, today's the day or, you know, there there was no lead up to it where I thought I've got to tell her or something like, I like, Again, I lived my whole life just thinking that this was never a possibility, that I would never address this, I would never say it out loud, I would never, you know, like, it was so, it was so far from, from reality in my life, and it just happened to be, I mean, in some ways, like, I feel really grateful that she was so honest with me about what was going on in in her life, and, you know, I, I mean, who knows what would have happened if we hadn't had that conversation that day, but, um, it, her sort of honesty and vulnerability allowed me to be honest and vulnerable and allowed me to kind of share that for the first time. And I think it was probably the first time I ever said it out loud, you know, was, was telling her. So, um, and at first I said I was bisexual because I think lots of people say that. <laughs> Not to discount anyone that is actually bisexual because, you know, there are definitely people that are. But I felt like that felt a little easier to kind of admit to. And I think I thought maybe myself that I was bisexual because I was right. like, well, I've been married for 11 years. Like, we've had three kids. Like, you know, so obviously I have some attraction to her. Um, and I think I did. And, but then as more time went on and I kind of processed it myself, I was like, no, I'm not bisexual. Right. I don't, I wouldn't want to be in a relationship with a woman again. Like I'm, it's not, I have, it doesn't have any appeal to me. So, yeah. So then I kind of acknowledged that, yeah, I'm just straight up gay. Well, I think that's, you know, it's that it's the easier sure route to take, which, which is sad because those that are identified as bisexual and truly are. Sure. Like we sort of have trodden on that. I know, a bit. I know. And it's terrible <laughs> but... because it does make it, it does, it can make it seem like bisexuality is like a, like a step towards becoming gay. And I don't think it's that at all. I think it's just sometimes easier to admit that. So, so that's what I did. Right. Well, you know, and I, I did the same thing. Um, and I, well, I won't get into that, but one of these days we'll get into that. Sure. <laughs> um, but yeah, yeah, it's, 
And I think it's something we just have to be careful as gay men, because I, yeah. I heard it joked a lot that, oh, well, he's going to say he's bi, but give him six months. Right, 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 right. Like, right. Well, you know, yeah. Right. But I have good friends that are bi and that are genuinely bisexual, and, and you know, and and we shouldn't erase that identity. Like, they should get to be who they want to be, and right. that's who they want to be. So, but yeah, I think as gay men especially, it's easy to sort of overlook it or forget about it. Well, yeah. I mean, we felt, we, we felt like we walked in those shoes, but we really didn't. Yeah, exactly. So, um, you've come out, and you've said the words. Yes. What was your next day like? Um, I honestly don't remember very well. (laughs) Like, I probably was in a little bit of shock. Um, I remember, I, I almost immediately got into therapy, which I would recommend to any, I mean, I'd recommend to anyone for any reason, but especially if you're kind of dealing with this. Um, I remember a lot of what I was thinking about was what I was going to do about the church because at the time I was still going to church and I was trying, and I was in the, I was in a bishopric, I was a ward clerk. And so I just was kind of thinking like, what does this all mean? Like if I come out, out like other than to just to my ex, you know, do I leave the church? Do I stay in the church and stay celibate? Like really trying to figure all of that out. So there was a lot of sort of wrestling about that over the next several months Um, and a lot of talking to my therapist and a lot of talking to my ex. Um, and at the time it was just the two of them that knew, um, I told one of my brothers fairly early on and he was very supportive, um, about it, but yeah, it was, it was just more figuring out what I wanted in life and what, you know, where I wanted to go. Um, one thing that my therapist said to me a lot that really, um, that sounds kind of cliche, but really was impactful to me at the time is he just said, you're the captain of your own ship now. Like you've lived this life doing what other people wanted you to do or doing what you thought you should do or doing what you thought was right to do. And he said, now you can live whatever life you want. If you want to stay in this marriage and in the church, like you can, like if that's the choice you make, you can like, you'll have to figure out how that works, but you can stay there. If you want to leave and, you know, do this, that or the other, like you can do that too. And that was a really, like, it sounds so basic, and I, I've i been to a lot of therapy since then, and I always feel like the most impactful moments of therapy are, like, the most basic things <laughs> right. that just somehow, like, you missed. But it was so it was so basic, but it was really eye-opening to me to say, wow, I can live whatever life I want. And so that was really powerful. So um, it took a few months, and, then, and, I, and I really went back and forth of what I wanted to do and what I wanted my life to be. And then I think I ultimately just decided that, you know, I think we had decided to separate at that point, And I still didn't know, like, was I going to come out? Was I going to stay in? Was I going to continue going to church and be celibate? Um, and as I kind of weighed all the options, the one that seemed the most appealing was just to come out and to be out. And, and a lot of that was me thinking, well, I've, I've tried this side for 37 years and there's been a lot of great things about it, but I'm ultimately not happy. So I'm going to give this other thing a go and see if it makes me any happier. So, um, I came out to my Bishop actually like very early on, essentially because I had just at that point decided I couldn't go to church anymore. It just was making me so unhappy. Mm -hmm. I would go and I would, and I would be stressed the whole time I was there and I would come home and I would feel sad and I'd feel anxious and I would throw myself on my bed and just feel depressed. And so after doing that for a couple months, I just thought, I don't, I can't do this anymore. Like this isn't working for me right now. So I emailed my Bishop, um, and basically just said, I'm not coming back and here's why. And you'll need to release me and just kind of spelled the whole thing out to him. But at the time, like my kids didn't know, none of my family knew, Um, and he was again, also very great and very supportive and kind of just said, I wish like basically said, I wish I had better answers for you, but I don't. And, you know, and I understand where you're coming from and good luck. Like was very, very kind. Um, yeah. And then that, and then the whole process began of telling our kids and telling my parents and telling my siblings and telling her parents and telling our friends and. All of that stuff. Right. <laughs> well, All of those good times. So those are, I mean, those are important questions that come up um, quite often. You know, uh, we get a lot of men that are just coming out and they think, how do I come out to my kids? Yeah. Like, how do, so what age were your kids and how did you approach it? So we told, we told our older boys first and they were, God, let's see, it was 2015. So they were like uh, 10 and 8 probably. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And we just pulled all the band-aids off at once. We told them that mom and dad were getting a divorce and we told them why. Um, at the time we still were living together. So we actually, we had, we, my ex had found an apartment downtown in downtown Salt Lake and we would sort of trade off nights sleeping in the apartment. So, you know, the kids were always still in the house that we'd always been in. And one of us would be at home with the kids and the other one would spend the night in the apartment. And we had a schedule we'd kind of rotate through. So when we told the kids we were, we had actually already been doing that and the kids kind of hadn't figured it out, you know, like, cause <laughs> you know, one of us, like I just, they, cause you know, there were times I've always kind of worked, I've always worked in retail. So I've always had kind of a weird schedule. So there are times that, you know, they wouldn't see me at night cause I would be working or whatever. So <laughs> we were kind of already living the schedule and the kids really hadn't even noticed. And so we, one of the things that my therapist had advised me as I was kind of preparing this for this conversation, well, two things that I think were really helpful Number one, he just said, just focus on what isn't changing, you know, like you still love them. You know, in our case, the living situation wasn't changing that much, especially for them. Um, you know, so we focused, we talked a lot about that. And then the other thing he said that was really helpful is he just said, you don't have to stick the landing on this one. Like this is not a one and done conversation. You're going to be having this conversation for the next 20 years, mm -hmm. some iteration of it. You know, it's going to, it's going to change and impact your family culture. So do the best you can but then know that you're going to keep talking about it. And that was really helpful for me because there was a feeling of like, all right, we really got to nail this. Um, so we told the kids, we told the boys, um, they, they were really sad at first. I think partially because they thought that one of us was going to move out and they would have to choose where they wanted to live. Like they had this kind of idea of divorce from like the Disney channel or whatever, where we were going to live on opposite sides of the country. And so once they realized that wasn't happening, they were more okay with it. Um, they, my older son asked for a dog in that conversation because they <laughs> could never have a dog. Oh, and, and I was an like, well played, well played. <laughs> and we have a dog now that came from that conversation. I was like, here I am in like the lowest point of my life. And you're like, can we get a dog? And I was like, yes, yes, you can. You Smart can get whatever you kid. want. So... And they were, they were, I mean, again, like, it's hard to know what was going on in their head, but they've been really resilient about the whole thing. It was a little harder for my middle son to accept that I was gay. Um, he's on the autism spectrum and he doesn't do well with kind of change and, you know, things being different. And so he would push back a lot. And now he's, you know, really come around and he's great about it. Um, and then we didn't tell my daughter, I don't remember how much later it was, but she was, so, she was only like five at the time. So she was so little. So we told her quite a bit later, maybe six or seven months later. Uh, and that was really hard because she just got really quiet and got really sad, but like didn't, I, you could just kind of tell like she didn't know she was too young to have the words to express what was happening inside of her. And so that was kind of heartbreaking as a parent to just see your kid be so sad and not really know what to say to comfort them and also have them not really be able to even articulate what they're thinking or feeling. Um, so that was really hard. Like that is a day that I would not relive again, but she's now amazing. And she walks in the pride parade with me and she is a little, you know, social justice warrior and she's an advocate for gay people and she's amazing. Like mm -hmm. she's the best. And so, um, so it was a really tough day, <laughs> you know, it was a really tough conversation. Um, but I think, I think kids are stronger than we think. Um, and I think that the kids, I think kids today are growing up in a different world than you or I grew up in where again, it's not perfect. And there are still a lot of hatred and a lot of horrible things that happen to LGBT people, LGBTQ people. But I remember not that long after telling my kids, my older son, who I guess again was like 10 or 11 at the time told me that he had told his friends that I was gay. And I was like, <gasps> I was like, like, I just was like, well, what, what, what did they say? Like, cause I, you know, I could not imagine being an 11 year old and telling my friends that my dad was gay. Like that would have been right. the end of my social life and I would have been ridiculed. And, and he was like, what do you mean? And I was like, well, what did they say? And he's like, well, nothing. Like what, what do you, what did you think they were going to say? And I was like, well, well, nothing like, <laughs> right. and I, and he, like he, it was so confusing to him that, that, that. I thought his friends would care, you know, cause they didn't, they just were like, okay, your dad's gay. Like we don't care. You know, my dad's a fireman. Like what, you know, right. whatever. Like it just, <laughs> right. it was just, it just was such a non-issue, you know? And again, and I'm not naive and I'm sure there will be times that it might be an issue or there will be, you know, whatever. But 
I was shocked when he told me that, that his friends had just really seemed not to care. And I was like, oh, okay. Like, okay, this is different than what, than what I thought it was going to be. So, well, we had, you know, we, we talked a little bit, we project, you know, all of those emotions, we, that box has been taken off the shelf that we thought was buried so far right, back there. Right. And suddenly we have to, we think that this whole box has to fit on the next person we tell. Right. But they don't have that 37, 40 years of <clears throat> right. experience. They don't, you know, and I love how you said you don't have to stick the landing because yeah. it's absolutely true. You know, we, it's, it's not going to be a one-time conversation. Right. And quite honestly, most of the kids that, most of the dads that I've talked to, a lot of the kids couldn't process it right there in that sure. moment and, and make yeah, all the decisions. Big, it's a lot. Yeah. Especially when you were, you know, it was changing. Not only were we divorcing, you know, we, my, my ex also had, had left the church at the time. And so we were no longer going to church. I think we had maybe, maybe we had stopped going to church before then. I don't remember exactly, but you know, it was just, it was a lot of big mm -hmm. cultural changes in the family. So yeah, it's absolutely was a lot to process. And like I said, for my older son, it seemed a little easier for my middle son. It was a little trickier to kind of get his brain around and, you know, but yeah, it's, it's an ongoing discussion in our family and it still is, you know, like my kids know I'm gay, but I've, I still have not been in like a serious relationship or, you know, and I, so I've never like introduced them to someone I'm dating. And so that'll be a whole other conversation right. when that happens. And so, you know, it's as our lives change and evolve, it's going to, there's going to be things that we're going to have to talk about. So it's, it's always ongoing. Well, and I think the emphasis kind of going back to it, the emphasis that I would put on it with, um, with all of this is going back to where, you know, it's going to take them, them time to process and you got to go back and you've got to talk about what's not changing. You mm -hmm. know, your, your love for them is not going to change. Right. Your support for them is not going to change. You aren't going to move across the country. Right. You know, none of this stuff that they, I mean, cause in our, in our generation, if my dad had come out at eight, when I was eight in the culture that we lived in, he would have been ostracized yeah. and put off in, yeah. you know, like yeah. it would have been a gigantic explosion yeah. in my life. Yeah. Where, you know, hopefully today there's, there's a lot less of that yeah. that's going to happen. So I think too, like we, I remember we were sort of checking in so much with them that it got to the point where the kids were like, Oh my gosh, we're fine. <laughs> it was like every day we were like, how you doing? Like what's going on? What are you thinking about? And it really did finally get to the point where they were like, we're fine. Quit asking us about it because we were so concerned. So, you know, I think it was just kind of funny that, that it got to the point where they were like, please stop talking about this. Like we get it. We're fine. We're moving on. Like we're living our lives. So, well, I guess it's good that you didn't end up with three dogs then. Right. <laughs> Just the one. We do have two cats now. But that, was, okay. that was fully my choice. So that was that was 100% me. So, Well, cool. Well, so I know we're kind of we're running on time here. Um, let's, I guess let's kind of go into some of our, our, our last questions. I, sure. I, you know, unless you feel like you wanted to add anything. No, that's, I mean, that's the long and the short of the story. That's the, <laughs> that's the gist of what happened. So let's go into the fab five. Okay. Which of course I don't have immediately already. So give me five seconds here to pull it up. So the same questions that we ask all of our podcast guests. Um, we'll start with the first. What is the best part of being gay? Um, I love being gay. <laughs> I love being I love being free to be me. And that sounds so cliche, but I love that I can, like, this is a, I remember shortly after coming out, when I was officially out and, you know, to, out to everybody, I was with my younger brother and sister and we were like wandering around downtown Provo, like had dinner or whatever. And we'd walked into the shop and there were these like pajama bottoms, but they were kind of more like long johns or like leggings. They were fitted. They had this crazy pattern and I tried them on and I thought they were so cool. And there was part of my brain that was like, Oh, can I wear these? Or do these look too gay? And then there, and then I was like, Oh, I don't care. Like right. I can wear whatever I want, mm -hmm. you know? And I, I love that freedom to just like be who I want to be, listen to the music I want to listen to, wear the clothes I want to wear you know, date who I want to date and just not care, you know? And obviously like that's a really loaded statement because there's still a lot of things I'm processing through and there's still a lot of challenges associated with that. But I love, I love being able to just be me. Mm -hmm. And I, and I love 
gay people. I think they're so funny and they're, I think, I think there's when you're, when you're forced as a kid to sort of, you know, you're kind of put in this box and you're, and you're struggling or you're, or you're depressed or you're picked on or whatever, like gay people develop amazing talents to be funny and to be talented and to be, and not that straight people don't, but there, I just think some of the gay people I've met are the most interesting, fascinating, funny, you know, exciting people to be around. And I love that. Like, I love being part of that community. And I, I, I would never, ever, ever in a million years want to go back, <laughs> right. go back to being <laughs> straight Absolutely. again. Like, it's too much fun to be gay. Yeah, you know, and I agree. And I, you know, I think that for, like, the heterosexuals out there, it's not like you have to join the club and feel like you're missing out. I mean, out you can. Like, I mean, <laughs> you're welcome to. I think we have recruiters for that. We summer. have recruiters, <laughs> yes. It's a whole operation that's called the Gay Agenda. <laughs> right. We don't talk about it. Right. We've got to not go too far. Yeah, we don't. We, we have, censor our podcast. We've, yeah, we've signed an NDA. But, but you know, it, yeah, we're here for you if you want to. <laughs> right. Um, but you know, and, and in some cases I do look at the heterosexual people and I think, all right, you know, I had to make such a massive change in my life that, yeah, I have, in some ways I think there is more freedom to be me than those that are following that one particular path that's been set out because they don't fit into the box of being gay. Right. You know, and that's, I guess I would say whoever you are. Yeah. Make your own decisions. Yeah. Be the driver of your own, you know. I do think, like, there, that same expectation trap that, you know, you and I probably fell into as, like, young Mormon um, gay kids where you're living these certain expectations. I feel like culturally there's a lot of expectations on straight people, <laughs> you right. know, to, like, but, but because, like, because when you're queer, like, you've, you've already broken out of that box, like... Like, I was talking to a friend the other day that was really frustrated about having to take her husband's name. And I was like, well, then don't take her name. Like, when you're gay and you get married, you either keep your names or you come up with a new name or you, you one person takes the other person's name. Like, you can do whatever you want. Right. And, th and there's these weird expectations sometimes, I think, you know, to live kind of this traditional life that it just seems like, but why do you have to do that? Like, if you don't want to take your husband's name, don't take his name. Have him take your name or make right. up a new name. Like, that's what the gays do. So right. <laughs> I just think there is a lot of freedom to be able to, you, you've already broken so many conventions that then you're just like, well, I don't want to subscribe to that convention, so I'm not going to. And right. I think that's a really beautiful and power, mm -hmm. powerful place to live your life. I think that's a great place, a great part of being outside of the closet. So. For sure. Um, in your coming out process, what's been the most surprising part of coming out? <laughs> um... I, th well, I think one I kind of already alluded to, like, not really knowing how people would react. And by and large, like, the people that I've come out to have been very supportive. Um, I would say the vast majority. But the people that were not as supportive as I expected them to be were kind of surprises. So that's kind of part of it. Um, I think the other thing is how much how insidious and how much damage the closet does to people. You know, there, like I said, there are things that I still am unpacking, you know, about mm -hmm. that. Or I remember shortly after coming out and I won't go into a lot of details cause it's kind of a long boring story, but realizing, realizing that I didn't make eye contact with people and that, and realizing that the reason I didn't make eye contact with people was because I was so scared what if I made eye contact with a guy and what if he then flirted with me or made eye contact back? Like, and I had built this sort of protection system into my brain based on this whole crazy scenario where some guy on the street's going to try to make out with me. And then what am I going to do about it? Because then he'll know. And, and, and so the, the solution was just to never make eye contact. And I had no idea that I even did that until I was out. And then I, and then one day I was like, Oh wait, what did I just wait? Why am I not making eye contact with people? So that has been surprising to me again and again and again, how insidious the closet is and how you think like, Oh, I'm cool. And like my ex-wife took it well and my parents are handling it well. So everything's going to be okay. And then, and then as you said, like going down the road and unpicking things and going, Oh wow. I didn't realize that that was affecting me because of this thing that happened in fourth grade or, you know, whatever, like it's, it's an insidious place. And it's why I, I why I think it's, so important to get out as soon as you can, as soon as you're safe to get out because it's damaging you in ways that you don't, you don't recognize and that you won't recognize for a long time. Well, interesting on the, the eye contact thing. I kind of had, you know, not the exact same reason, but I wouldn't make eye contact with myself. Oh, really? Like I couldn't look at myself in the mirror because oh, I was so, so shamed by myself yeah. or something 
that I remember, I've, I vividly remember, it is just seared into my brain that morning that I looked in the mirror and I thought, I like who I see oh, staying, so, you know? It's so crazy. Which is nuts. Yeah. You know, that it's was a, 27 years of not looking myself yeah, in the eye. Yeah, I mean, that, night. yeah, that's horrible. I mean, but, that's so sad. But yeah, it's, it's crazy what that, what that, the things it does to you, yeah. Um, how is your relationship with your family different now? Um, I, again, I think that, you know, I, I talked about my ex and we have a great relationship. Obviously our relationship's very different now than it was when I was in the closet, but with my immediate family, um, again, I think it's allowed me to be really free and be really vocal about who I am. I also have a younger brother who's gay, um, who came out after me. Um, and so that has really like forced my family to reckon with a lot of things. You know, again, I grew up in a very LDS family. Not everyone in my family is active still. Some are, some aren't. Um, but it has really forced my family to kind of evaluate and think about those kinds of things and talk, have conversations about those things. Mm -hmm. Um, especially my mom, like she and I really, I mean, she's been loving and supportive from day one, but we definitely had some like tough conversations at the beginning and she's really now to a place where, I mean, I'm sure there's still things about my life that she's not thrilled about, you know, or what, and I think that's pretty normal for parents to, <laughs> to have things about their kids' lives. Isn't that it our like, ah, I, wish, I wish they were doing that differently, but I think she has grown and changed so much because we, because she was kind of forced to, to deal with and to face these things. So, right. Let's see. The next question would be, do you wish that you had handled any part of your coming out process differently? Um, I, the only thing I can think of is there were some people who, there were some people that I was very quick to write off. You know, I've said a couple times, like some people surprise you for the good and some people surprise you for the bad. There were some people that didn't necessarily even have a negative reaction, but had a kind of neutral reaction or a kind of puzzled reaction. And I think I was in a, I think I was in a place where I was dealing with a lot of my own anger and issues and whatever, where I couldn't handle that. And so I just sort of like, kind of wrote those people out of my life. Like, okay, well, we're done. Like, we're not friends anymore. Um, and, and I do now kind of look back at that and go, okay, like, was that a little too hasty? Was that, was that more me reacting to what was going on inside of me more, more than what they said or did or didn't say or didn't do or whatever? So um, I wish I had had a little bit more compassion for the people around me, but I think at the time, like, I was in such survival mode, like, I was... I had to protect myself and I had to keep myself safe and keep myself sane that I didn't have time to, for anyone who didn't, who wasn't immediately on board. And I realize now that's kind of an unfair expectation to put on people that everyone's just going to immediately be totally okay with it. Um, and obviously like with people like, you know, my mom who again was loving and supportive from, from the first moment, but, but had a, took a little longer for her to kind of wrap her brain around things like there's more of an incentive in that relationship to invest a little more and be patient and to figure it out and to talk things out. And then, and there are some other relationships that were friends where I felt like I was, I was quick to just sort of be like, okay, I can't deal with that and walk away. Um, and now as some time has passed and I have some perspective to think like, oh, maybe that wasn't the right, maybe that wasn't the most compassionate reaction, but I do kind of feel like it was what I needed to do at the time. Mm -hmm. So well, and I think that's. I think that is something that a lot of gay men that are coming out later in life share is that you know we we've talked on the podcast about the grieving process and how we all kind of go through that and we you know the negotiation and the despair and the you know all of that, but at the very end we're at a point where we've come to peace and and have uh, terms with, and we want everybody else. We're just right, thinking because right, right, we're right. so happy. Right. Everybody else should be so happy for us. Right. I don't think it's unusual to have that experience right. where people are like, okay, I'm not sure what to do with this. And you're like, oh, well, fine. Yeah. Forget, forget you. you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm yeah. going to, I'm going to move on. Yeah. And I don't think it's wrong. You know, it'd be great if we didn't have to go through that whole process in general, but you know, you can always go back. Yeah. Yeah. I think that I think that a lot too in regards to sort of the church and leaving the church. I think when I was in the church, I always assumed that everyone who left the church did so because they were lazy or because they were 
they were a sinner or whatever. Like, I always looked at it as a very easy decision to walk away because living the gospel can be really hard, you know, can be challenging. So I thought, oh, well, those people are just lazy. They don't want to deal with this hard stuff. And what was, like you said, when I left the church, it was one of the hardest decisions that I've ever made. It was not anything that I took lightly at all. Like, it was a ton of praying and it was a ton of self-reflection and talking to people and processing. And so... So yeah, absolutely. There were people, I'm sure, that when I told them I'd left the church, they were like, wait a minute, hold on, what? Like, what's happening? Whereas for me, it had been this month, months-long journey. For them, it was one conversation. And then it was like, come along, like, here's where I'm at now. Right. And I can see how for people that would be right. hard to just sudden, just immediately accept. Yeah. And, you know, I, th I think the key with the whole process, and one of the reasons I, I like to talk about it so much, is I think once you recognize that it that is part of the process, that... So you would be like, all right, I'm going to go through these emotions, whether it is the happiness and peace and acceptance that you've come to, or you're going through the sad, or you're going through the negotiation, or, or whatever in that process, that it's okay, and as long as you realize that's where you're at, you, mm -hmm. can, you can authentically feel those emotions and go through them, because it's an, it's an important thing to do. So, right. Um, well, let me, let me go to the last question. Other than the obvious, such as family relationships, kids, etc., what things in your life bring you the most joy? Um, I have have several things. Like I said, it's hard for me to talk about things <laughs> that I want or that I like because I have a lot of programming. But um, I have a job right now that I really, really love, um, and it's a job that I never would have taken <clears throat> if I was still, you know, married. And it was. Like, logically, on paper, it didn't make any sense for me to take this job. It was a big pay cut, and it was kind of a, a big step down and sort of title when I started working at this job. Um, but I love it, and I'm so happy there, and I feel like it's going to impact my life for the good in so many ways. Um, so that's one. I, I love my job. Um, I am a baker, and so I love to bake, and I don't do it as much right now just because of some scheduling things or whatever, but, um, I have kind of a little side business where I sell cookies and baked goods and stuff. And that's my happy place is, um, you know, being in the kitchen and baking and trying out new recipes and thinking about things. And I, I love when I make something for someone and they tell me how much they love it. Right. Um, and I'm an unabashed, unembarrassed TV addict. I love TV. <laughs> There's <laughs> so much good TV on right now. And I think it's it gets sort of like it's seen as sort of lazy or whatever. And, it, you know, I definitely could. I definitely would like to spend a little more time like being active and a little less time sitting in front of the TV. But there's some really good TV right now. Mm -hmm. And so I just think it makes me really happy. And sometimes I'm like, Oh, should I go out and be social and meet people? <laughs> or should I stay home and watch Netflix and make a stiff drink? And, the, and often I choose the Netflix option. <laughs> um, you know, again, I would like to push myself and challenge myself to go out more and meet people and be more social. But sometimes like, just like sitting in my bed and watching a great TV show is like the best feeling. So, it's good so those, those are things. Yeah. Those are a few of the things that make me really happy right now. Oh, good. Uh, and, you know, I stepped away from TV for a while, but there's a few few things that have reeled me in, and I'm like, and I found that, you know, it's okay. Yeah. Now there's there's a good balance there, and yeah. and I've had those exact thoughts, too, where I'm yeah. like, I could go out and I should do this, but no, I'm just going to This is what in. I want. Yeah, this is what I need time. right now. Yeah. yeah, totally. Perfect. Well, thank you, Josh. Let me ask you one last question. Um, if somebody wanted to talk to you more or get, hear more of your story... Well, I guess it kind of goes into two questions. One, do you mind if they reach out to us and we put you on contact? Not at all. That, okay. I'm 100% happy and fine to do that. Okay. So. so if you'd like to reach out to us, it's podcast at gayfathers.org. Um, and then the other question is, if, if you have it, if you don't, that's fine. Are there blogs? Are there anywhere that anybody can find out more <laughs> about you? So the... Uh, I recently deleted my Facebook account, so just I wonder of, why. Yeah, just because of some things going on in the world right now. Um, so that's not a great place. Um, really, and and then I then the, the next sentence is you can find me on Instagram, which is owned by Facebook. So it's all like it's totally <laughs> stupid, but um, I do post a lot on Instagram and I share stories and stuff on Instagram. So my Instagram handle is Jushanoosh. So it's J-O-O-S-H-A-N-O-O-S-H. And you're welcome to follow me. Sometimes I don't post a lot. Sometimes I overpost. But I think it's 
fun and entertaining. And I, I do it because it makes me happy and I enjoy it and it makes me laugh. So you can follow me on Instagram. I don't have a blog or anything like that, but if you want to see the inner workings of my brain, Instagram is <laughs> the best place where that's publicly on display. Good. You know, and, and we just, again, we're, we're the captains of our own ship. So you yep. do what makes you happy. Exactly. Exactly. All right. Well, thank you again, Josh. Thanks for having me. Appreciate the conversation. It was a lot of fun. Thanks. Thank you to our guests and our hosts who have given their time to make the Gay Fathers podcast happen. Thank you to bensound.com for our intro music. Check out all their cool sound options at bensound.com. Also, thank you to Ben's Brews Cold Brew Coffee for sponsoring our podcast. Find them at bensbrews.com. Want to be a guest on our show or have some questions? Email us at podcast at gayfathers.org. You can also find us at gayfathers.org. If you like what you hear, give us a good review at iTunes. Thank you for listening.